Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Well, Merry Christmas to you all once again. It's so nice to be with you all. Doesn't this feel like a normal Christmas? You know, 80 degrees outside, just nice and stuffy. It's just bizarre for me. Uh, you know, it's, of course, this would be the year we'd be like this. It's, I heard someone say that this is going to be the second warmest Christmas in recorded history in Austin. The second warmest. And if your personality is like, like me out there, I'm like very competitive. I'm like, all right, what's, what's the number we need to hit? Like, what was the year? I think we can still do it. It's tomorrow. Maybe we, if we pull together, it can get warmer or something like that. But uh, we are here, and it's Christmas. Um, and do we just keep doing everything we're supposed to do? Are we supposed to just keep, wear, you know, wearing our puffy jackets and our Uggs, drinking our hot cocoa because it's Christmas? Or do we just change everything up? I think many of us are like, this is not the way that Christmas is supposed to be. And is this not just the theme for the last two years? Like, this wasn't the plan. And here we are, we're learning to be flexible once again with the pain of uninvited change. I mean, this has been the theme of so much of our lives together is trips canceled, children learning through screens, having to convert our garages to become workout facilities. Like, we've had to adapt in so many different ways during this season of life. This has been a time of such disorientation, so much change, Um, Many people have called this year the year of great disturbance, which sounds like something from Star Wars, Um, so I'm not going to be saying that, but it does like feel like this, everything has been disturbed. So how are you doing with that? You guys doing well? You doing okay? (laughs) Making it through? I'm not sure about you, but I've gone through my own emotional cycles and in many ways, like my emotional cycles, I found actually follow the stages of grief. If you all know that, stages of grief. I have found that, if you put those up, that I've gone through these stages of denial, of anger, bargaining, depression, maybe acceptance. You know, denial, like what we're experiencing, this isn't going to last. You know, like this is just going to blow over. I remember last year, Two weeks before spring break, when school shut down, and we thought how much of an inconvenience that our kids are going to be home one extra week, right? How hilarious was that thought? And here we are just going through this. But, you know, denial gave way to anger. And where do we use our anger collectively? At anyone, anyone and everyone, whether it's in person or uh, celebrities or online, but We just did not know what to do with our anger. But after that, we began to bargain. We experienced that part of the cycle. And, uh, you know, like, let's make the most of it. Let's pick up that new hobby. Maybe since we're stuck at home, maybe I'll start painting or cycling or pick up that drinking problem I've been wanting to have. Maybe I'll finish all of Netflix sometime. And after all that bargaining left us empty, we were left with sadness and depression that seems so rampant now. That became a part of this new norm. Then finally, some of us, if we have allowed ourselves to, have made our way to acceptance. 
Now, this is just how life is going to be. We just throw up a big white flag and kind of surrender to this moment. But I wonder, I wonder if there's something else for us. What we've experienced during the season of life has been incredibly profound, but what this has also revealed is something that's just a part of life. These experiences have exposed something that is faulty in which we believe. I can't say it better than the Episcopal preacher, Barbara Brown Taylor, who said this, we do not lose control of our lives. What we lose is the illusion that we were ever in control in the first place. This experience has pulled away any illusion that we've had that we were ever in control. And the question that I've been dealing with and wrestling with is what comes out when that illusion disappears? Furthermore, is acceptance really the end of the journey for us? As we've walked through the season of Advent, my mind and my attention has been fixated on Mary this year. It's just, it's just my, my curiosity has been wrapped around who we see to be Mary. Among the many different lessons that we could take from Mary in her life is one of them is this beautiful recognition, this response that Mary has when her life goes completely off script. If our life has been disrupted, Mary would say, just consider my life for a little bit. Because <laughs> uh, it's nothing compared to what she experienced. We have no reason to believe that this immaculate conception is something that Mary was hoping for, expecting. This probably wasn't something that she was planning on. It wasn't part of her five-year plan. But it came to her uninvited. And as I read the Christmas story through Mary's experience, what I realized this Advent season is that Mary, she went through her own process as well a series of responses that she experienced and had as well. You know, we have this picture oftentimes of Mary as some like saint, angel-like, stoic character, but what we realize if we read the scripture is Mary is complex. She's human. And we can find with her just a beautiful response of someone who is going in through life and they realize that they do not have control. And so what we don't see in Mary is immediate blind faith or immediate submission. She went through a process. This was her process. Step one was faithful questioning. On a day like any other, an angel interrupted her life and her life would never be the same. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And I love Mary's response. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. That word wondered is actually kind of misleading. It's actually, uh, in the original text, it's an accounting word, meaning like she's taking an audit of what is going on in this situation. She's trying to figure out, okay, what. What's, what's being added? What's being taken from me? Mary was weighing and calculating what this pronouncement was about to cost her. And what did it cost her? Mary, this girl between 13 and 15 years old, was near the bottom of that social ladder. And because of everything she was about to be experiencing, she was about to go even lower. She would be cast as a disgraced woman, a social outcast. This would jeopardize her future, her plans, her marriage, her reputation, her standing. 
And he also could even maybe cost her her life in a religious stoning. And yet, with all of that in the balance, Mary held out hope. And that hope led her towards this second step, this willing acceptance. To all the the answers that she received from her questions, Mary gave a response that was beautiful and profound. She declared, I am the Lord's servant. May your words to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. In the midst of the chaos and the disruption that she experienced, as the illusion of control just fled Mary, she reclaimed her truer identity, that I am the Lord's servant. I'm a servant when things are going according to the plan, and I'm a servant when the plans go right out the window and it feels like I'm driving without a road map. I am remaining this role in this story. I am the Lord's servant. Mary displays for me a beautiful and profound acceptance an acceptance that goes deeper than when disruption happens to our life. And she says, may your words to me be fulfilled. Mary displays a posture of courageous trust in God's plan. But the thing about this story that I've noticed recently is that her story doesn't end with just acceptance. She actually doesn't just end there with like this white flag of surrender, of like, okay, let it be, let it be let the Beatles write a song about me. You know, like it's, she actually moved through that into something deeper. She moves through being troubled, through questioning, through acceptance, into joyful participation. As her body began to stretch, so did Mary's imagination and her faith And this was solidified when she had this experience with her aunt, who was also pregnant at this time. When Mary arrived at Elizabeth's home, Elizabeth's soul and her child within her leapt with joy, and she spoke a blessing over Mary. And this blessing and this affirmation of a loved one, it drew Mary into a different perspective, that she could see things differently, that this wasn't just something happening to her, but God was wanting to do something with her. She went from questioning through acceptance into participation. She was invited by God to participate with God in doing something profound. You hear this change when Mary broke out into song. And by the way, I love in the Christmas stories, people just break out into songs like it's a musical, you know? Like they just, in their responses, they just break out in song and Mary begins her song this way. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of a servant. Remember the, the, the identity and the role that she claimed when life went off script? I'm the Lord's servant. That is the way, the way that she still remembers herself, but that she's not some servant to be domineered by God, but she is, is seen by God. God is mindful of her and lifts her up, and her soul is now glorifying God in this incredible invitation to participate in what God was doing. Though Mary might have been dismissed and devalued by those around her, by her culture, God chose her. 
God chose to co-create with her to bring about peace and love into this world. This concept of participation is fundamental when we think about our life with God and God's plans in this world. For better, and most times for worse, God's plan of bringing hope and redemption into this world has always been through human participation. God could have chosen to be a grand puppeteer behind a veil making things happen, always removed and from a distance, dictating and controlling, but that's not God's master plan. Instead, God has chosen to be in the work of walking alongside people, offering this gracious invitation to participate with God, to partner with God, to bring about restoration in this world. It began with a couple in a garden, a family in a desert, a nation in captivity, and a teenage virgin living in disgrace. God's master plan has always been divine participation. And friends, so it is with you. That is what this Christmas story is trying to teach us all. Christmas is not just some nostalgic picture that we return to every year and we pull out our decorations. This is not something we just gaze upon uh, and we just rehearse this biblical scene and remember it. It's a reminder that God comes to the least likely to show that God's name is still Emmanuel, God with us. And his master plan is still that of gracious and merciful participation. This could remind us of a scene in a wonderful movie, uh, Goodwill Hunting. Will, played by actor Matt Damon, ladies, Matt Damon, what's up, uh, meets his court designated therapist, Sean, wonderfully played by Robin Williams. The day before this particular scene, Will is in Sean's office and growing tired of being forced to talk to this therapist, he begins to poke at him, mocking him with his words. He mocked his painting in his office that Sean painted himself. He mocked his, this uh, counselor's unimpressive career, how he ended up at this no-named junior college trying to teach and practice psychology and he even mocked his recently ended marriage because of his wife's cancer, and as, as he now was a widow, a widower. Obviously, this gets underneath his sin, uh, skin, and the meeting interrupts abruptly. But then on a park bench the next day, Sean tells Will that because of his words, that he stayed up all that night thinking about what he had said about his painting and about his life. But then I slept like a baby when I realized that you were just a kid who's never left Boston. What he knew that Will, that Will could tell him all about Michelangelo, but he is, only knows them from the books he's read. He couldn't tell him one thing about what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel. Will could tell Sean all about marriage and probably recite beautiful poetry, but he had no clue what it was like to love someone through life and through death. What he was pointing at was there is a huge difference between knowing about something and truly knowing. Reflecting on that scene, I love what friend and author Scott Erickson, he, what he wrote, he said, there's a difference between reading books about life and the actual risk and reward of living a life of travel, valor, love, and service. 
There is a deep knowing that can only be attained through what? Participation. I love that last line. There is a deep knowing that can only take place, only be attained through participation. The invitation of Christmas is not merely to observe the nativity, to remember the story. The invitation of Christmas is to participate with the one who is still breaking into this world and calling forth a cast of motley crew people to help incarnate mercy and love and grace in this world. What if the whole point of the Christmas story is not that we read about the shepherds and the magi and Joseph and Mary from a distance, but we learn to expect God to reach out to us like he did the magi, coming to us in the language that we know in our hearts? What if the point of this Christmas story is that we learn to attune our ears to hear the grace-soaked words that the shepherds heard? For unto you a child is born, so that we too could go and seek to find him face to face, telling everyone about who Christ is. What if the point of Christmas is to know what it's like to be like Mary, to experience this invitation to have Christ grow in us, to abide in us, so that we might bring forth surprising beauty and goodness into this world. Well, friends, I'm here to tell you that the Christmas story is a warning. And the warning is this, is that Jesus' name is still Emmanuel. God is passionate about you, about having a life with you. God is passionate not to be something that you learn about and know about. God wants you to know him, to know him. And that takes place in participation. God is still with you especially in seasons like the one that we are in, especially for those who are tired and weak and isolated and are sick and tired and fed up of having all of life be taken from them. Those who know what it's like to feel vulnerable, Christ is coming and he's coming for people like you with this gracious invitation to join in with him. Don't settle for knowing about Jesus. Know Jesus. And just like this story of, was a warning of what God wants to do in this world, it begins with you just as it did with Mary. And I want to declare over you the words the angels spoke over Mary that disrupted and changed her life forever. I want to say the same words. Greetings, all you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. God is mindful of you. His eyes are on you. He sees you. He has heard every prayer that you have prayed. And he wants to meet you in this moment of disruption and challenges so that you can have hope in hopelessness, peace in the midst of chaos, joy and despair, and above everything else that you could experience love in every place that you experience fear. Why can I say this? How can I be so bold to claim this? Friends, it's Christmas. That's the whole point. 
We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about The Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to The Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.